people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Class war. Class war, the only war. We want to just quickly send a nice friendly message to the uh, Fraternal Order of Police in Philadelphia. This is an anti-Nazi song. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Rebel Beat, a Firebrand Records podcast. This is your monthly dose of class war on the dance floor, a deep crate dive into the world of radical politics and radical music. This is our year-end wrap-up episode for 2018, and to mark this special occasion, we're going to be spending the better part of an hour with Firebrand Records co-founder and purveyor of riot folk extraordinaire, Ryan Harvey. Plus, we got some huge news about the podcast for 2019, so you'll definitely want to keep listening for that. But first up, we're going to start you off with some snotty-nosed res kids from occupied indigenous territory in so-called British Columbia. And this tune, Warriors, we're going to send it out to the Unistoten camp. The Unistoten camp is an indigenous camp in Wet'suwet'en territory who were recently served an injunction by a dirty frack gas company, Coastal Gaslink, who want to invade their territory, again in so-called British Columbia and Canada, and run a pipeline through. A high court, of course, ruled in favor of these capitalist fuckers and ordered the indigenous barricades to come down. Somehow I can't see that after years of resisting this colonial invasion onto their territory, I can't see that happening, them just bowing down to this colonial pressure. But we want to send our love and revolutionary struggle to the Unistoten people. To find out more how you can support, check out the show notes for this episode to links to donate or to spread the word. So here we go, some snotty nose res kids. This is Warriors. That mean I thrive in the winter time. Yeah, I'm what they call a savage kid. My family tree is bigger than the old and new testament. I put a fist up. That's where they call Kaepernick. Somebody gotta stand for it. Tell them who you want. So beware, we black snake killers. Blackfish have been a killer. We're the ones you can't get rid of. Sound familiar? Yeah, long hair that Rick Flair. Nature boy from the village. E for really, really, you see how I'm rock and roll. Rock and roll. Nah, I'm standing right. Not the rage against the machine ain't moving like Rosa P. Nope, you know why? Cause this dream catcher and catching your pipe dream. Word. dream word. Look what happened in Flynn. No disrespect, but the same thing happens to village kids that see water from the tap and are dying to live from the cancer it gives. Where's the state of emergency for them? I don't know. Act like you know the story. Know the story. Broken treaties, unholy matrimony. matrimony. One nation under the creator, homie. Yeah. All my relations, many with Choni. Officers, we're here to stay. stay. 
Welcome back to the Rebel Beat of Firebrand Records podcast. This is our last episode for 2018. We're going to get ready to move into the new year. But before we do that, I've got some huge news for you about the podcast. And well, it's some bittersweet news. As of 2019, the Rebel Beat is going to be saying goodbye for a bit. This doesn't mean the end of the podcast, but unfortunately, I've got to slow it down. I'm not going to be able to keep putting it out as a monthly podcast. So what does this mean? Might mean you might hear the Rebel Beat every two months, every three months. Can't say for certain now. One thing I can say for sure is that producing this podcast has been an absolute pleasure and passion of mine. I've got to interview some amazing artists in the last four years since I started doing this thing, including M1 of Dead Prez. He was our first interview on the show. Anarcho-punk legends Propagandy and Oi Poloi. The right-hand man of the Sex Pistols and the Clash, Don Letts. Lido Pimienta, Rafif Ziada, Alanis Obamsawin, and many, many more. This episode that you're listening to right now, this is our 92nd episode, and it's a personal goal of mine to get to at least 100 episodes. You can, of course, go back and listen to all of our previous episodes up on our website, rebelbeatradio.com. And just keep thinking that'll be an amazing thing if I can curate at least 100 episodes of amazing, radical music. I definitely want to get to that, so that's going to be a goal to strive towards in 2019. Just to give you a little bit of a brief history of the Rebel Beat, maybe for some of you who have just jumped on in the last few episodes or so, and of course, hello if this is your first time listening to the show, and hello if this is your 92nd time listening to the show. So basically, a little bit about me and how this show got started. I got my start in community radio, uh, basically the longest love affair of my life. Uh, The show started as an incarnation of the Rebel Beat, but not really anything close to what the Rebel Beat is now, back in 2004. So back then, this show was very much motivated by my love at the time for ska music and late night weirdo radio. And so I got a slot at CKUT Radio, an amazing community radio station here in Montreal. It was Tuesdays, 3 to 5 a.m. So back then, the show was called Rude Rude Radio, where I'd play a lot of ska and some punk for anyone who was listening at that time of the day. Never really sure if it was that many people, but every now and then I would get a call from a friend who was doing a graveyard shift somewhere to a trucker who was driving around and just happened to kind of tune in on the airwaves. 
And then I did that for about two years in that weird, weird time slot. And then in 2006, I was offered a much better time slot again at CKUT. Uh, so I made the shift from overnight into a Wednesday night slot from 10 to midnight and changed the identity of the show a little bit. So went from calling it Rude Rude Radio to calling it Roots Rock Rebel. And being in that earlier slot, again, this is far from podcasting. Podcasting was like the last thing on my mind at this stage. But just being in that earlier time slot meant that it was much, much easier to interview bands. So either to have ska and punk bands come in live on the show or do phone interviews with people. And I think that really, you know, moved the show to a whole new audience. And then I would say probably around 2009, 2010, got hooked up with some amazing peeps at this wonderful project called Music Is Our Occupation and started putting the show out as a podcast so that people not only all around Canada, not only all around North America, but really people all around the world could start listening to it. And that was a really exciting time because I would get messages from listeners in, in Guatemala and in Mexico and France and Germany, really all over the world, people were starting to listen. And then, you know, more and more years would go by. I did Roots Rock Rebel for about nine years, almost 10 years. And actually on the 10th anniversary of the show, I started to think a lot about the critical state of times that we lived in and how important it was to give a platform to music that reflected radical political change. See, I'd always called Roots Rock Rebel class war on the dance floor. Um, but, you know, ska music, like, let's be honest, right? Like, it came out of a very political space. Of course, you know, the shanty towns and slums in Kingston, Jamaica, and then moving into post-war uh, Europe and Britain and that whole two-tone movement that was started by the specials, which was this amazing coming together of black and white working class youth. A lot of ska music today, unfortunately, does not really carry that proud tradition of being working class anti-racist resistance music. And so I really wanted to focus my radio energies onto, onto music that fought back, you know, fought back against all forms of oppression and all forms of domination. And so around that time, 2014, I was kicking it with my good friend, Frank Lopez, of course, from Submedia. And uh, I was visiting uh, his family's home in Puerto Rico, which was really nice. And you know, we were sitting out on the beach having a lot of conversations about radical media and radical radio. Doing it on a beach in Puerto Rico is a really nice space to do that. And, and with Frank, uh, we kind of cooked up this idea for the Rebel Beat. And so in January 2015, I launched the, the latest incarnation of the show. And again, back then, and you know, this was nearly four years ago now, uh, it was a weekly FM radio show. It was two hours and we were putting it out subsequently to that as a podcast. And, you know, had Frank come into the show about once a month to do his thing on the air, which was really nice. And then again, two years ago, the show changed a little bit because I decided to go back to school. That was a big decision in my life. And, you know, beyond that, it was just really, really challenging to have the time to do the research to come together with a two hour episode of radical political music every week. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid. I've never gotten paid to do this show. So that was a huge undertaking. And it just really wasn't tenable anymore to, to put it out as a weekly show. 
So I brought it down to a monthly show. And around about that time, uh, my friend Ryan Harvey, of course, from Firebrand Records, who's in Baltimore, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, are you stopping the Rebel Beat? I was like, no, I'm not stopping it. You know, just can't do it once a week anymore. He's like, why don't you do it as a monthly podcast uh, and do it with Firebrand Records? I thought, yeah, that sounds like an amazing idea. I mean, what you guys are doing is is really, really exciting. You know, they have incredible artists like Bell's Roar, Son of None, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. I was like, I am fully on board for that. And so that's kind of where the show has been at for the last couple of years. This amazing home, amazing collaborators with Firebrand Records. But sadly, we're going to have to slow it down again uh, you know, doing this show, like I said, it's a passion of mine. It is a labor of love, but I've never gotten paid to do this show. You know, we have, of course, have our amazing Patreon supporters um, who, you know, without them, this show wouldn't be what it is. You know, it's like they are really, really helping. You guys are really, really helping to keep the lights on in my home, to keep my belly fed. Um, but that being said, you know, it's just, it's, uh, these are hard times to live in, and, it, and it's really, really hard to find the time to put in that labor to do it. So I don't want to throw in the towel. I don't want to say goodbye forever. Going into 2019, you're going to be hearing from me less, but when you do hear from me, you can expect the same kick-ass quality of Rebel music and Rebel interviews. And of course, it goes without saying, I would love to hear from you. Do drop me a line, either on social media or by email at rebelckut.ca. Tell me what the show meant to you, what you enjoyed, what you thought was kind of whack, really whatever. But, you know, I would love to keep in touch with some of our listeners. And so another thing I want to mention is going into the new year, I'm also going to be focusing a little bit more on another beloved podcast of mine, Changing on the Fly. And that's a whole other podcast I'm doing. It combines hockey and radical politics. Of course, two other big loves in my life. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Changing on the Fly or check out changingonthefly.ca. So we're going to get into our feature interview on the show right now. And that is, of course, with Ryan Harvey talking about where things are at with Firebrand Records at the dawn of 2019, but also where radical music is at in general as we head into this new year. It's a really fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy it. But first up, here's some music from Ryan. Walking in lines with taser guns Wooden batons are trying to keep you scared We fight attacks, you know it all comes down to how you react And now you're face to face Seeing it all, disperse the warnings They're making the call, they got buses to pack With people like you, when they did that in the 50s The movement grew Young student, new to the game Movement elder, fan in the flames Combat veteran, seen it before Sick tactics used in the fighting war Find a warning, you're keeping your ground Committed people sitting all around Through the bullhorn, it's all distorted You can't leave now, we can't afford it Hold the line, even if your voice shakes Friend of mine, even if your voice shakes Push forward, it's up to you See it through In 
the silence breaks Voices are loud, rubber bullets crack Pierce the crowd, heart starts pumping Scab and proud because the people still sitting In a tear gas cloud, the line advances the Swinging sticks in the marching boots And the taser clicks, screaming erupts Someone got struck, people calling for a medic They better hurry up, now the vomit comes Like a flood, getting choked by the gas Hands covered in blood, bruised and beaten Limping away, remember it's always Been this way, they'll beat you down Show you the guns, it's fine sometimes And they change colors, yeah, stand for a morgue then come back to the stupid People. For them to attack, you gotta hold the line Even if your voice shakes, friend of mine Even if your voice shakes, push forward It's up to you, see it through Like this, when something clicks, when you're confused, tired, and scared of shit. But your body's alive with that heartfelt driving you engaged and proud right before you rise. When you could have ran, but you stayed inside. When you were beaten and gassed, and you still came back. The feeling, the power that you got deep down. Rise to the top when you get beat down. There's a world to win when your heart is strong. And it doesn't do wrong to focus on. Every day brings a vision to strive for. Something to live and die for. And when you go back home and you run, you run. It's easy to feel like you're all alone With your memory and hope that we stay supported Cause we can't quit now, we can't afford it Hold the line, even if your voice shakes Friend of mine, even if your voice shakes Push forward, it's up to you, see it through So, of course, joining me on the line right now We've got one and only co-founder of Firebrand Records Ryan Harvey, joining us from Baltimore Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm always so thrilled to be producing the Rebel Beat, putting out another episode. But as I mentioned earlier in this episode, this is a bit bittersweet for me because this is, uh, I guess, slowing down the Rebel Beat in a way. Never like to say anything is uh, dead or, you know, finished for certain. But um, of course, just because life is changing pretty quickly for me. Uh, gonna have to slow it down. Um, but one thing I wanted to chat about with you is it's been, of course, just over two years since we started doing this as a collaboration. So, you know, I remember at the moment where, um, where I stopped doing the Rebel Beat as a weekly radio show, like an actual FM radio show at CKUT. And you got in touch with me and you're like, Hey, how about doing the Rebel Beat as a podcast with Firebrand Records? I was like, that sounds awesome. And um, of course, you know, that was two years ago. So in that amount of time, um, I've had a chance to interview a bunch of Firebrand artists. So uh, of course, yourself, uh, your collaborators, Shireen and Kareem Samara, Son of None, Bell's Roar, The Last International. And I find that like, you know, here we are, it's the end of 2018, we're going into 2019 the music world, this whole digital landscape, like things are changing so quickly. And what I wanted to talk about a bit with you is like, let's talk a little bit about Firebrand too. I want to kind of get into like a bit of a deep dive into like the music industry in general. Um, but maybe just, yeah, like starting with Firebrand stuff, like what what's kind of changed with Firebrand uh, in the last couple of years since we started putting out the Rebel Beat with you guys? Yeah, well... You know, Firebrand is is 
an interesting project. It's it's very different from what I envisioned it being when it first started. And it's, you know, it's also different from what I, I then thought it was going to be like a year later. <laughs> um, you know, when, when, when Tom and I first launched, it was sort of the more kind of mainstream attention we got was sort of like, who the hell starts a record label these days? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's a good question. Why the hell am I even starting a record label? I've never even liked record labels. Um, but then I also never really uh, understood what a record label was and did. So Firebrand kind of started, you know, my my vision for it. Uh, some of the other folks we consulted about it were like, well, that's not really a record label. And I was like, well, whatever. It doesn't really matter. We just we're calling it a record label, but this is what I want to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, basically find really awesome artists who are like, you know, singing and also living, you know, radical politics and really see themselves as being part of something bigger than just their music career. And often artists like that, such as myself, uh, don't really like have a music career. You know, we work other jobs, we figure it out um, and we do it because, you know, obviously, you know, to, you know, not going to lie, like we do it because we love it and it's super fun. And there's something about needing to write those kinds of songs that if we didn't do it, we would, uh, you know, we wouldn't be fulfilled. Um, and then, you know, the more selfless reasoning is that we're activists. We want to change the world. We're like engaged in social movements and we're engaged in any kind of attempts that we feel are relevant to try to change culture and power and politics. So the music is obviously part of that then. So I wanted to find, well, I didn't have to find anyone. I mean, they were, they were all folks I knew, but, uh, you know, I just identified a bunch of friends of mine and, and artists I was connected to and said, imagine if we could help these people out, you know, imagine if we could figure out how to boost them and make their lives easier so that they could do what they do. Knowing, uh, you know, as Tom and I wrote in the sort of description of Firebrand, and it's not just, you know, lofty poetic rhetoric, it's really true, which is, you know, uh, you know, we're not saying that music change, changes the world, but the people who are changing the world listen to music and music's an integral part of their lives. It's where we go when we're depressed it's where we go when we're excited it's where we go when we need motivation when we need to help processing something i mean uh so you know we can't we can't look at that as a as just a sideline thing like i think a lot of political organizations sadly do they try really hard to find speakers for their rallies and then usually the musician is just sort of an extra and and you know i think we're especially we're in an era where art is really defining politics in a lot of ways so that can't be on the sidelines. It has to be front and center. It's like a good album is a good book. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but so anyway, so, so how that evolved then, you know, like it started actually about four years ago, um, just over four years ago, we started talking about Firebrand because we were, I was in LA and as a DIY artist, my car had uh, gotten, I got in an accident in the middle of the desert, ended up in, in the desert. And thankfully, me and my friend from Britain who were touring the U.S. Were, were fine. And we went back to L.A. and had to cancel the rest of the tour. We lost thousands of dollars. It was really stressful. I had been playing shows where we made, I, I remember one show we made $35. And I was wow. like, this is so fucked up. I, I drove, I drove 3,000 miles to play this show. A bunch of people came. They were drinking. They were hanging out, having a good time. And, and we went away with splitting $35. So... We ended up in LA and I, and I ended up over at Tom's house. We were watching a few of the, of the world cup games 
And uh, I brought up the idea of starting a record label and one thing led to another and we started working on it. So originally I envisioned it being sort of like, okay, well, cause Tom's involved, we're going to, you know, things will probably pick up pretty quickly. Uh, I was actually, at first I was a little nervous about like, am I going to be able to handle this, this, you know, the, you know, this things could really get big. Um, and then they didn't because <laughs> we're a record label in the modern era <laughs> trying to sell right. music. And people are like, what's that? What, what the hell's a record label? Yeah. And as we were designing the contracts for the artists, like these are artists that would never sign a freaking contract. You know, I would never sign a contract. Um, but, you know, we I tried to make them as artist friendly as I could, uh, given that we were also trying to make money because we wanted to make money so that we could generate income to redistribute to the artists and make the project what we wanted it to be. Uh, obviously, Tom, you know, wasn't out there to try to make any money from from this. And, you know, I, I was hoping maybe I would make enough so that I wouldn't have to work another full time job so that I could really like make the project something cool. Um, you know, I haven't taken a dollar from it yet as things have gone, but, uh, you know, so that was, that was at first. And then, uh, you know, when that didn't really pick up, uh, I was like, okay, well maybe we're just going to have to like, uh, you know, be a little more patient and be a little more intentional. Um, and now I sort of, you know, talked to Tom recently and, and we were like, you know, let's, I was like, why don't we try to run this a little more like, I would run a record label if I was doing it by myself. So not, you know, like, you know, I don't, I didn't start this to, to try to attach myself to Tom and his, and his popularity. I did it because we have, we represent two different ends of the music industry, but we represent a lot of the same ideas and beliefs. So I thought, well, if we smash that together, certainly something interesting will happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah. And that's, you know, partly when, you know, when I asked you about the podcast, that was this attempt to branch out. And there's other ideas I have that are like that. Like, why are we just a record label? Why aren't we a more of a media yeah. center that focuses on radical art and culture? Yeah. Well, because that's, yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that's interesting for me is like, I look back to when I started listening to music as a kid in the 90s, um, and especially getting into like DIY punk culture, let's say, or or maybe even ugh, embarrassingly like the skate punk that I listened to back then. So, oh come on, that's that's me too. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was very much about like if you wanted to get noticed as a kind of underground DIY band, you had to be on a record label. So, if it was punk rock, like you had to be on Fat Records, or you had to be on Epitaph. Um, or whatnot, or, you know, you can think of, of course, like hip hop with like Def Jam and Aftermath and, and all that. And like the list goes on, but it was really all about like visibility equaled that record label contract that you're talking about. Now in 2018, visibility equals social media clout, right? Like visibility equals kind of getting noticed by, I don't know, like PR companies or like having a collaboration with Drake or something. So it's just, it's, it's a weird thing because it's like the, the parameters change. And, and what I think was inspiring and what continues to be inspiring with Firebrand is, is I saw it as more of a collective, like you were saying, than a record label, right? Like, I think that when people are going out, when they're looking for music that kind of either falls under, um, a similar genre or in the case of firebrand because you guys had artists of all different genres on there um music that falls under kind of a, a common banner right like music that is fighting for something it's still really useful to have these kind of platforms right like 
a kind of one-stop shopping that you can go to, even though I hate that term shopping, but like, you know, just like <laughs> one place where it's like, I want to like, you know, I know I love son of none, you know, he is a rad hip hop artist from Baltimore. I want to go and find other like-minded artists, regardless of whether they're folk, hip hop, punk. And, and I feel that the label today you know, maybe even if we stop thinking about them as actual labels, right? Because again, like a label for me really meant the actual label that you would see on the back of a CD when you bought it. Um, I, maybe we right, need to right. go back to a way of thinking about labels more as these like platforms or collectives that are bringing people together, you know, based on ideas more than anything else. Yeah. And that was, you know, my former collective, the Riot Folk Collective, um, you know, when we look back on it and we're actually, you know, we've been chatting a lot lately about, about maybe trying to put some of our music back up online. Cause you know, we had so much music online and when our website got lost, uh, you know, it's, it's just so much work to put all that stuff back on. So, uh, but when we look back on it and think, well, what was riot folk? I'm like, I don't even freaking know, but all I know is we had a logo and we all identified with that logo because it represented some ideas that we stood behind and we like affiliated with each other. And, uh, you know, but then at the same time, it's like we had this big extended, you know, network of friends that, you know, weren't in the collective, but it didn't really matter. They were folks that we toured with and played with and stuff. Um, and then that, you know, Riot Folk now is mm -hmm. a genre in Europe. <laughs> uh, not in the U.S., but when you go to Europe, like people are like, oh, yeah, there's a Riot Folk. Uh, artist playing and I'm like that's not possible <laughs> uh, I'm like I'm the right. only riot folk artist in Europe right now so um but uh but they you know we we helped define a genre through it um but yeah so firebrand is is, is kind of like that I mean it, it you know one of the reasons that we haven't brought in a ton of money at the label is because like I was saying earlier we wanted to make the um you know the the contracts really artist friendly and what that meant uh was we're only going to make our money from selling music. Most labels these days that are successful are making money because they own every aspect of the artists, everything, you know, they, they own their, maybe their image. Um, they might own their logo. They own their merchandise. Everything goes through the label. They make money from the touring. They make money from, you know, if that person does an interview that's getting, they're getting paid for like appearing on a show. Those are called 360 deals. And, I was like, I don't want that. I just want to, you know, I just want to, if we can successfully move their music, we should earn some money from that. Um, I want those artists to be able to, when they go on tour, that's their money. They're, that's their work. I'm not involved. Um, just because I put out their album doesn't mean that I should have anything to do with their touring um, or their merchandise or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, other people were like, well, you're not going to make any money. And I was like, yeah, but well, we'll have to deal with that when we deal with it because I'm not going to have a label that's like uh, having 360 deals with artists that's trying to represent good politics. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like I was just thinking there, there's this um, ska record label based out of Montreal that I've always loved. They've been around since the early 90s, Stomp Records. And, you know, like a lot of, again, these independent ska or punk labels like literally started out as um, you know, a basement operation or a garage operation mm -hmm. in like somebody's parents' garage way out in the suburbs, uh, doing mail order and stuff like that. And those that have managed somehow miraculously to survive until today, like Stomp Records being one of them, I think it was founded in like 93 or 94, still around today, but you talk to people there and they've had to like 
completely overhaul their whole model. So it's no longer just like you were saying about moving music, but they're doing like publishing, mm -hmm. they're doing licensing for like music, getting into TV shows and mm -hmm. films, of course, like tour booking, right? Like merch sales. And um, I can imagine like, you know, like I'm an anti-capitalist, you're an anti-capitalist. And, and for those of us who, who envision a world beyond this whole like transactional value of things, um, we want to think of music as being something other than that, right? Because there is this kind of romantic notion of like starting out from nothing, starting out in your parents' basement. Um, you know, there's this other uh, record label I love. Uh, they're based in California, Asian Man Records. Like oh, they yeah. put out a lot of like ska and punk back in the day. And I, I'm pretty sure like Mike Park is like still doing his thing with them, but he's kind of like maintained this very DIY ethic over the years. Yeah. And it's it, but it seems pretty much impossible to maintain that model anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, if I, yeah, I just feel like if you're, you're either really exploiting somebody or you're, you have to keep it somewhat DIY, um, you know, cause the way the music industry works, you know, you either get super popular or you're playing pretty small shows. There's, there's not, I don't think there's that many artists that live in between that. Um, and, and survive. I, it's just so, you know, and there's so many wild factors. I mean, it's not a, it's not an easy, you know, area to, to operate in. You, it, it's really unpredictable sometimes what's going to hit and what's not, what kind of music's going to be popular. I mean, you could be making, you could be making music almost identical to somebody else and be completely unheard of. And somebody else is super famous. Um, it's, it's really weird, you know, and I know sure. that big, you know, the big labels and, and, you know, folks who are really moving, uh, moving music and art in the, in the upper ends of that world. I know they study the metrics a lot and, you know, we all know the sort of might, maybe it's completely true, like mythology of like, Oh, well, you know, we already have like one, you know, blonde female pop star singing this kind of song right now. So, you know, in two years we'll need to find another, you know, like this kind of, uh, like they know that there's always this niche and this person's filling it now and next time, whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to, I also don't want to like compete in that world. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to put artists in some sort of race against somebody else that's similar. I want to put them on tour together <laughs> Yeah, for sure. uh, or have them do a split, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Coast Guard on the horizon Wait for the next round of bribing The forest lined with people Blame persecuted and made illegal Revolutionaries and widows Orphan survivors and heroes The ones who made it safely Who left their friends and families Well, the fog rolls into Lesbos The February windows The thin hum of the distant motor Pushes the waves on a thin blue border The smuggler waits in the evening Profits up through the ceiling Fifteen hundred to ride Whether or not you see the other side He throws their bags in the water And packs them in like cattle Fifty people on a rubber boat Pray to God that this 
twisted version of privilege To be the one who escaped from the village When the barrel bombs and the shrapnel rain When the secret police and the soldiers came When the fog rolls into Lesbos A February window Let's talk a little bit about labor issues Because, I mean, I guess this is like a crucial thing that we don't often get a chance to talk about in the music world. And, you know, I know you're someone who is thinking and living this every day. Even just this morning, you were tweeting and, and posting about you were at a nurses union meeting in Baltimore. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of have this theory in terms of like, you know, broad strokes, like where we're going with, you know, digital communications, digital media. Um, there was this really exciting period of course, in the, the late 90s, like post uh, Seattle 1999, like people protesting against the World Trade Organization. And then from there, the uh, of course, like the indie media network gets founded. And I'm always saying, and you know, I'm not the first person to say this. There's many people who have said it and thought it much more eloquently than me. But, um, you know, indie media was like the kind of OG Facebook, like indie media oh, totally. really revolutionized this idea of, of self-publishing, of anyone being able to just like get on their computer and, and put out the content that they wanted to make. And then I feel like the, the 2000s and, and the 2010s, uh, but especially in the 2010s, we kind of have all, in a sense, fell victim to the algorithm. So we've fallen victim to these huge platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google, essentially being, um, you know, way more than just platforms, but actually being arbiters of who gets to hear what, uh, not necessarily who gets to say what, but really who gets to hear what, who gets to see what. And and Mm -hmm. that has had such a bad impact on on artists, on you know those that we would call quote unquote creatives, but I don't really like that term because that's been that taken term. up in really <laughs> weird ways. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, and and what was I going to say about that? But yeah, just that like in, in another sense too, um, you know, this work that we're doing, this actual labor, has lost so much of its value. And this is where I, I would kind of put the blame on all of us, like myself included, but maybe people listening to this podcast too, is that, you know, we're not necessarily going out and buying CDs anymore. We're not necessarily going out and buying vinyl. And so there's still, even now in 2018, this unfortunate tendency to think about digital media as being free, right? And so we're always saying that on the Rebel Beat that it's, you know, it's always going to be right. free to listen to, but it's not free to to produce, you know, whether that's like web hosting costs or just, you know, buying microphones and stuff like that. But I get it. I get it. It's like, we all like, we're living, we're still living the economic crisis. Like, you know, we're, none of us have that much money. And those of us that do have more money, well, you know, need to redistribute their wealth. But like that, I feel has had this really hard trickle down effect on artists who who are putting their time and energy and passion and blood and sweat into putting out the music that we want to hear and and we're not ready to give back even in small amounts right like i think people are used to now this whole like streaming platform like you know your spotify's and your apple music's like people are willing to say okay i'm, I'm willing to give ten dollars a month to spotify to listen to all the music that I wanted to listen to on an unlimited basis. But 
yeah, like what's the impact for artists there? I don't know, like pick pick up that idea and roll with that, like labor and, and art yeah. in 2018. Well, you know, I'll start with the, with the weird, a weird mainstream story, right? Um, Taylor Swift, um, you know, you, you, you heard this, uh, this, you know, about her, her whole thing with Spotify. Mm. Um, I don't know if you followed I didn't that, follow story. that story. Actually, maybe you can kind of like sum it up for people who don't know it. Yeah. So, so Taylor Swift, um, had, you know, taken, I might be distorting some of the story, but the general vibe is, you know, she had pulled all of her music off of Spotify a couple of years ago, I think like, you know, maybe 2014, the end of 2014, early 2015. Um, and, uh, you know, she, that was her being like, this is bullshit. Um, and I mean, obviously she's an extremely successful right. artist. I think she's the most successful artist right now, but, uh, she just saw Spotify and said, this is problematic. Like the, I'm making so little off of this and you're making mm -hmm. so much. Um, it, you know, it, it like, it's even less fair than the old shitty record right. deals. <laughs> um, Cause they don't even owe you anything. Uh, and uh, recently she, she got back on. Um, uh, was it, I'm trying to remember if it was that she got back on uh, Spotify, but all I know is that she signed a new contract recently with, uh, with universal. Um, and she said, that if in order for her to sign on to the label, the label would have to give a certain amount of their Spotify earnings to all oh. of its artists. So she wasn't just out for herself. She was like, no, I'm talking everyone else on your label needs to get more money from your Spotify profits. Good on her. Um, yeah, I mean, I was like, okay. Uh, but that just shows you how crazy the situation is right now. I mean, I've, you know, Spotify is fairly new for me. I'm, I only have a couple albums on there. I don't even pay attention to it. I should, but I don't. Um, I'm also not that popular of a musician, so I don't have to worry too much about it. I'm not going to make anything substantial mm -hmm. from Spotify. But I've been putting my music online for free for most of my adult life. All of my adult life, actually. Um, so... You know, it's interesting that now the, the sort of situation is, well, someone found out how to make money from free streaming music. I used to stream the music for free and no one made any money from it. Um, but back then we were definitely like riot folk. We were like, well, you know, the music's free. We don't want to charge people for it. And, you know, around the time I started Firebrand, part of my, you know, part of what brought me to that point was like, okay, I've got, I, at the time I was driving a $4,000 car. I got in a, tw you know, 12 to $1,500 accident, which wasn't my fault. Um, in the middle of the desert, had to cancel a tour. Um, I had already put what, 800 to $1,000 into the car to get ready for the tour. I have to fill it with gas and oil and stuff and maintain it. Uh, I have a guitar that gets cracked at least once a year, I have to go get it repaired because I travel as my only guitar. I take it everywhere. Um, you know, my guitar case costs $300 because I needed a waterproof guitar case that could survive airplane rides. So I didn't have to buy an extra seat ticket for my guitar when I tour Europe. Um, you know, 
and then not to mention, I mean, in the last two years recording my, my two EPs with Kareem and Shireen, I mean, we spent thousands of dollars at the recording studio and we got a really good deal from our friend. Um, there was travel involved. There was, you know, Kareem's Oud broke at one point. I mean, yeah. there's so much money involved in this stuff. Um, and I've tried to shift back now uh, to, rec- I'm trying to record my next album myself, which I've tried before and I've bought, you know, lots of new equipment for it. It all costs a lot of money. And so then I'm turning around and, and I look at how many albums I've sold of our first EP with Kareem mm-hmm. and Shireen. And I mean, it's laughable. I, it, I don't even think it could pay yeah. for uh, the microphones I use. <laughs> um, so, you know, but people want, people like my music, right? They like, they want to hear me, Kareem and Shireen. They want to hear Shireen's voice. They want to hear Kareem's oud. They want it to be big and full and sound like you're in front of the oud. They don't want it to sound like shit. So you can't record on a shitty microphone. You gotta use a good microphone. You want it to be mixed and mastered well. Call out the spokesman and PR magician See what you can save from collapsing Call out the cameras and media darlings And tell you it's not really happening Call out the guardsmen and the soldiers who fought To occupy the towns they were born in Call out the cops who fired Shots with the crowds will be back in the morning. Take to the streets now, this world's rearranging. Show us something that we can believe in. A whole generation that's been scared of dreaming, it's rising like light in the morning. You know, and, and also as, as political artists, and, but also as just musicians in general, right? We want our stuff to sound good, but especially given what we're singing about, you know, we have our song Thin Blue Border is a very personal song to us. I mean, it's about friends of ours from Syria who fled the revolution, um, you know, under threat from the police uh, after friends of theirs were killed and kidnapped and, and, and held and tortured and stuff. And they've fled on boats and they ended up in Europe and they walked from Greece to Germany. And, you know, uh, and I was, you know, went over and volunteered for, for a few months over in Greece where boats were coming in and, and, and in Turkey and, and around there. And, you know, that's where I wrote that song. And, you know, you can't take a story of that magnitude, a song that that's, that's that personal and intense and is capturing such a huge human situation and not, want to honor it as best you can right Mm -hmm. and give it as much make it sound like you never want to forget it so and that's what i think as political artists we we do want our music to sound good we want it to get hooked we want people to want to hear it again because that repetition is part of how we drive that point in and how we you know how you know i i listen to bands you know, I mean, can't tell you how many times I've listened to the same crass song in my life, but when, every time you hear something like that, it reminds you about something you believe in. It reminds you about something about yourself. So it's really important that you actually want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And actually just, you know, speaking of crass, like a funny thing is I, I, I was just remembering the first time I met you was at a Penny Rimbaud show uh, here in, uh, in oh, yeah. Montreal. So that, that's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> 
crass kind of completing the the 360 yeah yeah i mean it's just like it's it's I mean, maybe one thing I'll say, and again, you know, I, I don't want to, this podcast is of course not about pointing fingers, but maybe about like thinking about all of us and, you know, our, our own kind of like shared responsibility, right? Like we're all people like living under capitalism. And what I would maybe just like really urge people listening to this is like, you know, again, like if, if people don't have that much money, like that's totally fine. Right. Again, it's like some of us are just getting by, like just barely able to make rent every month. And these are the, the sad realities of, of living under capitalism, of living under financial crises is that the financial crisis, of course, you know, coming uh, and like hitting the backs of working class people way more than it's hitting anyone else. Um, but I just I think it's crucial for for those of us that do have some disposable income to really think again. It's like maybe like challenge ourselves is like, is it normal that we pay, you know, seven or eight dollars a month or however much like a Netflix subscription costs, but then don't pay anything to the independent podcast that we listen to or the independent right. music we play, right? Like we have to challenge ourselves on those things because Netflix doesn't need your money, you know. Apple Music doesn't need your money, but Amazon doesn't need your money or whatever other streaming platform you're using. But but independent artists do need your money because a lot of them are working day jobs and then coming home at the end of the day and trying to record and, you know, trying to do like these crazy tour stories, right? Like like what you were just saying with cars breaking down and instruments breaking. So, yeah, it's... Um, Wow, it's a whole thing. Uh, and, and you know, something else I was going to say earlier that I that I forgot to mention is, you know, it's also, you know, I'm I just turned thirty five, right? So I'm I'm, I guess I'm still young, but you know, our generation makes has a lot less spending money than generations before us did. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we're surrounded by objects and stuff. I mean, there's all this stuff. We have a lot of stuff, um, but we're actually, you know, a lot of people are in debt uh, in the U S especially student debt, medical debt. Um, so it, it, on one hand, it's like, yeah, I can't believe people aren't spending money buying a record, but when that record costs $20 and you owe $50,000 in student debt, and maybe you have $6,000 in medical debt, you don't own your car. Um, you know, all this stuff, you know, yeah, you could buy a record every month, but um, there's a lot of other stuff you got to worry about. And, and some of those services make it really kind of easy and convenient to, you know, I mean, I mean, it's also weird, right? Look at Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's like, they revolutionized the world. You know, it's like, you used to just call a taxi. Right. So what's the freaking difference? I mean, maybe it's better in some ways because people who um might not be able to get hired as easily in the formal sector can can easily get you know drive for lyft or uber that's that's cool actually i think that's a one of the benefits of it um Mm. the issue as has always been the issue with everything is who's making the majority of the money and where's it going and who's not making it so you know in, in some ways spotify and these kinds of places just made it more you know it's kind of like the lift of music it's just sort of like oh i just have an app I can just pull it out, um, which is like just as easy as having a phone number for the the cab company, right? right? Um, 
but with music it's different right there's a ton of music in the world it's really it's like you have a freak out in the potato chip aisle at the grocery store good luck looking for music uh it's endless yeah. so um you know but but with with a thing like spotify i think the I think the technology is a lot less problematic than the, you know, the capitalist background of it. I mean, if Spotify was a service where all these artists were getting discovered and all of that and bringing home money from it, then that would be great. Clearly, Spotify is one of the most known words in, you know, that's been invented recently. And they clearly bring in, I think they bring in almost $3 billion a year. Wow. Um, I don't know what they're you know, what they're about, you know, how much of that is debt. I don't know. But if you can bring in $3 billion a year, that means that the technology is working fine and could be turning around and benefiting artists. But of course it's yeah. not. And there's people at the top that are, uh, that are making all the profit. Of yeah. Course. Well, I suppose that I'm Years a little bit because this is of course uh, you know we're doing a year in review kind of year and uh, wrap up episode of the Rebel Beat so um, I wanted to also think a little bit about you know for lack of a better word protest music or revolutionary music in 2018 and um, I'll just kind of give you know my two cents and, and I want to hear your two cents as well but. Um, I really want to talk about like what has stood out in terms of radical political music this year. And for me, because we've been talking about, I guess, a bit more negative or dark stuff, but uh, one of the really positive points for me is just to, to look at how um, Indigenous artists, Indigenous musicians uh, continue to kind of push boundaries, to challenge colonialism, and, and are just getting... Um, well, it's beyond recognition, right? Because people are critical of the politics of recognition, but but creating a space for decolonization within music, and and that was really uh, exemplified when uh, when Jeremy Dutcher, who's a Two Spirit uh, Wolustuk Indigenous musician from you know so-called New Brunswick up here in Canada, uh, when they won the Polaris Prize for for Best Canadian Album of 2018, and uh, Jeremy's album is just. It's so mind-blowingly incredible. Mm-hmm. 
what they did is they they really wanted to look at, at language revival through that album. And there's so few people who are still speaking the Wolastic language. And so they went through archives. Uh, they consulted elders within their community and put out this LP that is all sung. You know, it's amazing compositions uh, sung in, in that language that like for a lot of us, we're just hearing it for the first time. And when Jeremy won that award, uh, they made it very, very clear that like, this is the indigenous renaissance. Like this is, uh, there's no looking back at this point. Like this is people taking space that has been colonized and taken away from them for so long. Um, and, you know, when I think about like, you know, on, on the Rebel Beat this year, we interviewed Alanis Obamsawan, who's an elder at this point. She's she's 85, but just reissued this amazing LP that she made in the 80s, and she's continuing to do amazing work. Uh, it just had um, uh, Shutezkat uh, on the show last month, who's not even 19 years old yet, and it's just like got this like incredible CV, like doing incredible music, incredible organizing. Um, so that's really powerful to see for me. And yeah, wondering about, like for you, what kind of stands out in terms of like the last year or so? I mean, I'll tell you what, something, and to tie it into Firebrand too, like another thing about, uh, like another reason that Firebrand isn't, you know, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of protest music or, or, uh, isn't getting consulted all the time by Rolling Stone magazine when there's a political something, uh, you know, is a, because, because of the technology we were just talking about and the, the ability for people to spread their music so easily these days, um, you know, coupled with the fact that we're in an extremely political time period globally, uh, means that there's a ton of protest music out there. Um, I mean, a ton, I like, I, there's, and it might it might also be because I'm not as young anymore and the world seems bigger to me in some ways and I'm more in touch, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, uh, you know, what is protest music right now? Because you've got, you know, half of the mm -hmm. NFL kneeling at one point, you know, in the last couple of years. So what is protest music? You know, at, at what point does a song become a protest song? Uh, it, mm -hmm. Does the artist have to say it's a protest song? Um, I know plenty of protest songs by artists who say, no, I don't write protest songs. Um, so uh, I think one of the things that we're dealing with right now is that there's a, there's just a, art and culture is one of the areas where politics is, is really freely expressed. And, we've been seeing so much. I mean, just in the U S uh, we've been seeing so much political music coming out, you know, and I think in Canada and, and in the U S as well now, especially with, with, you know, everything that happened at standing rock, but years before that in, you know, across Canada and across the Northern U S um, you have, you know, the indigenous movement really came out to the forefront for a while of politics. Um, and I think it takes a few years for some of, you know, those things to, to really reach into the mainstream of art. Um, but I, you know, cause it, it can take, I mean, shit, I've got a song that I wrote four years ago and it's not even released yet. So that there does tend to be a, a, some of that. So I think with the, you know, with the new black movement in the U S we're seeing a ton of political commentary coming out in really mainstream black, black music and art. 
as well as underground. Uh, you know, interestingly, the punks have been pretty quiet lately, <laughs> in my opinion. That's true, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, and partly because punk is a, you know, is like a pretty white scene in the in the U.S. at least, and and I, I assume in Canada as well. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, certainly not in like Peru and Mexico and you know Indonesia and all these places with huge crazy punk scenes. Um, but so yeah, you know, like yeah. well, I think part of that too is like you know, punk has been saying like "fuck the president" for so long. Right. Like if you say like "fuck Donald Trump." It's just kind of boring, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. No one's even going to bat an eyelash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got to do something a little better than that. I mean, punk's definitely, I think, influenced... I mean, you look at how punk has influenced hip-hop and how hip-hop's influenced punk, and I think it's really interesting. You see styles, you know, mimic. You see sort of attitude confirmed, you know. I think both of those are uh, genres that wanted to come out and say, fuck you, if they felt like saying, fuck you. Mm -hmm. And didn't really care about it. And, and I think they've seen, you know, I think it in the earlier days. And then I think more recently they've really seen each other and, and gained a lot. Um, but I think punks, you know, also been, uh, you know, obviously my friends from war on women, uh, really shook up the warp tour recently, uh, by refusing to like, not, you know, make a huge noise about blatant sexism from what is largely a male punk festival and attracts a lot of, you know, the, the worst kinds of skate punks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so th- those fights are happening, but I think they've been eclipsed by, you know, much, uh, I would say much more interesting, musically interesting artists who are largely coming out of like more marginalized communities, especially in the U S black and Latino communities. Uh, not just in terms of the politics, but also in terms of the long tradition of of the art, um, you know, coming out of, for instance, Black America, obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, has long been a, 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 you know, what is it called? A, um, you know, like a, I was trying to think of the scientific term, like a Petri dish or whatever, but like where lots of forms of music and culture are born uh, and, and brought to the world. So, uh you know, I think that's happening. I think that in the last couple of years, there's definitely some artists who are in my, you know, in my uh, extended network in some ways that I think have been producing some amazing things. I think there's been a real revolutionary musical and artistic renaissance coming out of the Arab world, right? Since the Arab Spring kind of gave leeway in some countries to artists to have a little more ability to express themselves. Also artists who fled some of those countries and are now bringing those stories and that art uh, to the world from, you know, asylum or refuge or, or, you know. Yeah. I know one artist that you introduced me to that um, I think I'd be remiss to not just mention her by name is uh, ML uh, Mathluthi. Oh, talk about her. She's on the top of my list. Yeah. And I got a chance (laughs) to see her when I was uh, down in Brooklyn earlier this summer. And uh, she was opening up for Godspeed, you Black Emperor. So that was just an amazing bill in and of itself. And uh, yeah, I got to catch her set. And it was, you know, like really, I had this impression listening. Because of course, like I didn't understand the lyrics. She sings all in Arabic. Um, She's a Tunisian. She's Tunisian, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Tunisian artist. Um, but like yeah. really got the sense listening to her that it was just completely unique, uh, had this like very, very original sound and that there's a lot of passion there. So. Planet, planet.
Mel Mathuthi is, is one of the best artists in the world right now. I, she's definitely the best, the best live concert I've ever seen in my life, hands down, was her performing in a pretty small room in D.C. Uh, and I mean, everyone was just crying, you know, and we, we, you know, she explains in English what the songs are about before singing them when she plays in, in an English-speaking country. And so you get an idea of what the song is about. And uh, even though you might not be able to follow the lyrics, I have a tiny, tiny Arabic vocabulary and I can grab a word or two. But, um, you know, you're just so mm -hmm. fucking moved. Uh, it's the whole, it's the performance, it's her her voice, it's the sincerity, like you just feel the intention uh, of her music. She wants you to feel what she's doing. Um, and she wants you to go and find <laughs> the lyrics because you're like, that song did something to me and I need to understand totally. what it was. <laughs> uh, I've not seen many artists yeah. that could do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and she's also really she's really shaking things up i mean she's she you know she lives here in the u.s she's on tour all the time all over the world she recently i think it was last year played the first show in tunisia that she played since um you know since she had to i, I don't know if it was since she had to leave the country because like, i think her music was she wasn't able to perform uh you know obviously in, in under the dictatorship and i think she had lived in france for a while and um, you know, she was there during the revolution and performed and became very famous in that moment. Um, but she, you know, she went back and was able to perform publicly in her country that wasn't even thinkable a couple of years ago. Um, but she's also taken her music to countries where, you know, they're not necessarily trying to have like a, you know, this revolutionary feminist woman singing these powerful songs that are, you know, stabbing at the heart of dictatorship and police repression and, right. you know, male power. Uh, and she just does it and doesn't, uh, it just doesn't seem like she can be yeah. stopped. It's really wonderful. And I think she knows that. And that's part of what uh, an artist like that can do is really, you know, I'll never be like that. But I think ML is, which is, you know, she represents the the desires and the yearnings of like the whole millions of people. And she has to, she can't look like she's intimidated. She can't be intimidated or afraid or uncertain. She has to be certain and powerful and unwavering because if there's people that are looking to her and, and would be, you know, it would, it would, it would have an effect if she, if she stopped, you know, or, sure. or, or whatever. Yeah. People should definitely go check out. Oh, yes. Luthi. Um, she has an album called Ensen that's really beautiful from a few years ago. And then she has a more recent one, I think, from earlier this year called Insanity, which is uh, some really experimental remixes of her previous album. Right on. Um, just to wrap things up a little bit, um, let's talk about uh, some of your music to come back to that. So I know that you've been working really hard, like you were saying, with your collaborators, yeah. Kareem Samara and uh, Shireen. And uh, yeah. you guys have Thin Blue Border. Is it volume two that's coming out soon? Yeah. Well, real quick, I wanted to shout out a few other artists oh, just please to, do. to yeah. throw people on. I don't even know if these albums were in the last year, but something like it. But we talked about ML. Go go online and find new stuff from Low Key out of the UK. Low Key is going crazy with new songs. Um, he's got a new album coming out at some point, but you can find a lot of his stuff online. 
uh, Rancid, one of my favorite bands in the world, put out a new album in the last year or two, and it blew my mind. It's so cool. True, Tom, yeah. That, that kind of had a nice sound going back to like the, some of the oh, older albums. Yeah, it was like the first album. It was like that raw sort of, and such good storytelling. It really felt like you were... You know, it, it made it made me it reminded me why Tim Armstrong has been called the Bruce Springsteen of punk. Ah. I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. We've got, you know, obviously my my co-conspirator Tom Morello has a crazy new album out, uh, which you know, my it's just it's it's brilliant. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, the Atlas Underground album, amazing. Yeah, Atlas Underground. My friends from Las Cafeteras out of Los Angeles have a great album out right now. Um, I'd also urge people to go check out the new album from Rebel Diaz uh, from from pretty recently. They're out of New York via Chicago, via Chile. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I just want to put out there, folks should go check out Mashru Leila from oh, Lebanon. Yes. Thank you for mentioning. Oh, man. The- they have a new album of remixes of, of their last album, and it's a brilliant album. Yeah. They're, again, another band for me where it's like I can't understand the lyrics, but you know well of course like with Mashru Leila it's like the fact that like you know some of their members are openly gay and just like what they have come to represent for the LGBTQ movement in uh the Middle East is so yeah. incredible uh they just actually did they did a collaboration with uh one of my favorite artists from here in Montreal Narcy which is just oh, such yeah. a beautiful track and uh Oh, incredible. Yeah. I think, I think all of the albums and the artists you just mentioned there, I was like, yes, yes, yes to everyone. <laughs> and I still squeeze some skate punk in there <laughs> just for the record. Amazing. Um, but yeah, so Thin Blue Border. So we, we, Kareem Samara and, and Shireen Lilla, Shireen's out of Amsterdam and Kareem's out of London via Palestine. Um, we have been collaborating for years now on, on, these songs, uh, mixing, mixing a lot of things, but it's predominantly like my sort of American punky protest folk. And then, uh, Kareem coming in with a little more traditional, but also more, more modern experimental Arabic, uh, especially string music. He plays the Oud, um, you know, but he also, you know, was, came out of Indian hardcore bands and stuff like this. So we, we put a lot in there. Uh, and then Shireen, um, you know, who, who also does her own protest music on the ukulele uh, is predominantly singing uh, on this new album. So we've got a five song EP that we released last year and we've got another uh, four song EP, Thin Blue Border, volume number two, uh, coming out in just a couple of weeks. Um, we don't have the date yet, but it's going to be in mid-December. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's the, the completion of this series of songs trying to capture our you know, reflections and stories from really from starting from the Arab uprisings in 2010 and 11 uh, up to the present moment and how for me uh, and, you know, for Kareem as well uh, and Shireen, I think we all experienced the what, what we call the Arab Spring in, in very different ways. Kareem was in mm. it uh, sort of accidentally because he was in Egypt at the time uh, and Shireen experienced it as as somebody living in northern europe at a time when you know in 2000 what 13 and 14 when a lot of refugees started ending up in, in the north of europe and the belgium the netherlands and france and there was big protests and occupations in public squares and uh squatters working with refugees to try to open up spaces for them to organize from and live in and i saw that when i was there 
Um, and then I experienced the Arab Spring as a as a burned out, you know, anti-war organizer who had spent a lot of time studying the Middle East and uh, because of the wars and uh, had been really jaded in 2010. And the Tea Party was like the main political force in the country and everything looked really bleak. And then out of out of, as they say, the middle of nowhere and the middle of everywhere in Egypt and Tunisia came this new spirit. And for me, that that really sucked me back into uh, into what I was about. And I and I don't think that that window has closed yet for the world. It certainly has closed for the people of Egypt, uh, unfortunately, and, and in a number of other places. But, you know, when you light a flame and it starts spreading, it, you know, it, it, you never know where it's going to go next. And I think we've been really seeing that. Um, and I think that's added to and really helped to define, uh, you know, this era of music and, and art and culture, which is really is really political and really, you know, culturally critical. So our album is just a sort of, you know, it was an attempt to sort of summarize that in, in song and and, um, and just get some thoughts out there. So that's going to be exciting to finally get out there. We just released the music video for the song Thin Blue Border. Uh, which is up on YouTube and, and my Facebook music page and uh, stuff like that. Folks can go give it a look. Um, and we got, you know, we recorded that in a number of different places, but I recorded some of it over in Greece and Turkey. Uh, we recorded some of it here in Baltimore. And some of the footage came from friends of ours who are volunteers with Sea Watch, which is one of the main, uh, you know, NGO rescue boats in the Mediterranean doing refugee uh, uh, solidarity work there. They gave us some footage from the water uh, because we wanted to, uh, you know, we wanted to help, you know, help the viewer understand the urgency of what we were singing about. We also wanted to link them to organizations like Sea Watch. With your dreams, you move the world. You pull them from your heart The spark travels far They will move if they are ready to move With your hands You move the world By example you prove What's possible And they will move if they are ready to move Awesome. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Once again, we've been speaking with Ryan Harvey uh, about a lot of different things to, to round down uh, our year here in uh, 2018. So uh, Ryan, I want to thank you again so much for, you know, like taking the Rebel Beat uh, under your wing, so to speak, with Firebrand Records um, and just for being another like-minded artist out there in the world. Thanks. And I, and I wanted, I want to thank you and for all your listeners, like, just to recognize all the work you've done and, 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 you know, consistently bringing really interesting artists to people's ears, not, not your, uh, not your sort of a uh, low hanging fruit that people would expect to hear. Like, oh, uh, this guy's going to interview a protest singer, but you really, uh, you really brought out people I'd never heard of and really interesting stories and music and, and always hosted really great uh, conversations with them. So Oh, it's very you. awesome. Well, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll continue. Maybe not as yeah. often, but uh, but we're gonna we're gonna do our best to uh, keep putting those artists in people's ears. So, uh, cheers once again. We've been with uh, Ryan Harvey. Thank you so much for being generous with your time today. Yeah, thanks, sir.
All right, welcome back to the Rebel Beat. It's our year-end wrap-up episode for 2018. Hope you just enjoyed that interview with Ryan Harvey. It's, of course, time for our Turn It Up segment where we focus on an artist or on a collective or an organization. We're using their platform to promote radical social change. And on this Turn It Up segment, we're actually going to be turning it around and sending it out to all of you. Yes, you, the listener. You guys are the reason, again, why I've been pouring all this love into this podcast over the last four years. I'm just so inspired by all the amazing radical work and radical organizing that I know a lot of our listeners are doing, whether it's our posse of peeps who organize with Antifa in Australia, all you Black Lives Matter organizers, water protectors, indie media ninjas, single parents, starving artists, anarchist rebels, You are all our people. You all inspire me so much. So thank you so much. Keep doing the work you do. It is the Rebel Beat. And I'm going to leave you with one last one from The Clash. This is basically the song that got me into doing Radical Radio. But before we go, we have to thank all of our Patreon supporters, without which, of course, this show would really just not be possible. Donald, Sarah, Dan, Ryan, Squasen, Nagesh, Ross, Camilo, Taylor, DJ Kill McKinley, Scott, Philip, Sasha, Megan, Hunter, Lee, Russell, Sarah, Rose, Justine, Yannick, Andy, Grill, Dominique, Jean-Philippe, Frank, Anne, and Andrew. We are, of course, also a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. Keep checking out all of their amazing work at www.channelzeronetwork.com. We are out of here for a while. I'm saying bye. It is not bye forever. Stay subscribed to this podcast so you will never miss a Rebel Beat in the future. Catch you later. Here's The Clash with White Man and Hammersmith Palais.